welcome to Literacy Matters, Conversations with me, your host, Cheryl Lundy-Swift. I am happy to be here today with Mark Weekland, author of How to Prevent Reading Difficulties, Proactive Practices for Teaching Young Children to Read. Hi, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm good, Cheryl. It's great to be here with you. It's so great to have you. Why don't we start by just telling everyone a little bit about yourself and your literacy journey? Yeah, sure. So I live in Pennsylvania. I'm here in the western part of the state. Uh, I came to literacy a little later in life. I started out in the sciences and when I was at the University of Pittsburgh, I was studying chemistry and biology. And then I was trying to follow my bliss and I was playing music and uh, things of that nature. And then when I was 27, I uh, got a certificate to teach and earned my master's degree. Um, I come from a long line of teachers. My mom is a teacher. My wife, Beth, who I love dearly, she's a teacher. Uh, my grandpa was a teacher. I have an aunt who's a teacher, on and on and on. Uh, so it's all in the family there. And uh, I started out in special education and did special ed teaching for many years, full inclusion, full pull out, everything in between. Uh, I've taught um, as a reading interventionist, so I have a reading certification here in Pennsylvania. I have my elementary ed certification, so I've done that in classrooms too. And uh, I also have my science certification, my secondary science certification, but I never use that actually in the classroom. So I'm just very interested in teaching and I was in the public school setting for almost 24 years. And then around um, 2014, I had an opportunity from the International Literacy Association where they published a book of mine. And I decided that it was time for me to leave public ed. It was like I had heart murmurs about this or flutters or whatever sure. about leaving the fold, you know, but I did, I did leave and now I do my own business, Mark Weekland Literacy, and I've been doing that since 2014. And uh, it's just been a real joy in my life because I still get to be with kids, still get to be with teachers, and I'm also doing a lot of other things too. Awesome, Mark. Well, it looks like you were trying to hide hide from education, but you know the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, does it? <laughs> nope, nope. I, I came around to it in the end. Awesome. Well, super excited to have you, Peace, as a special education teacher. And so, I know a lot of people would really benefit in trying to figure out how to support all children. What teaching practices allow primary grade classroom teachers to teach all children how to read, write, and spell, even those children who are struggling? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, the way that I group the practices um, are kind of your curriculum first, which are uh, the standards and the information that you're trying to impart to students, all the materials that go with this, all the activities. So you've got that big curriculum and then whatever it is, and you could be pulling from a variety of different areas. It doesn't have to be in any way, you know, some programmatic thing. And then secondly, there are your grouping. So you've got whole group and small group and occasionally that one-on-one -on -one, uh, type of thing. Um, there are practices around <clears throat> uh, assessment. So uh, hopefully we're doing some formative assessment, uh, if not a lot of it in the classroom, and benchmark assessment, those, those types of things. 
um, you have uh, your routines, especially if you're doing, you know, that small group setting. So you've got small group routines, or maybe you're doing guided reading, things of that nature. Uh, you're going to have routines around your independent readers and writers as you're doing your small group work. So there are all those routines that, that come into that. And, and the routines around your, your classroom environment and the community that you're building with your learners. And then a final practice that is near and dear to my heart, because I do come out of that arts world, um, is the techniques that we're using in the classroom art, our teaching techniques that we use day to day, and I would say even hour to hour, sometimes minute to minute, you know, what, what kinds of habits do we have? What techniques are we using to get our information across to the students? Hmm. Yeah. I, I love that you call them techniques. I think that's really, really great. You know, you know, reading teachers or just teachers in general really have a lot that they're thinking about. Why would teachers want to concentrate on a specific technique? Right. So, so techniques, uh, I think, I think they're great to think about because they, they help you to get the information across in more effective ways if you're using particular techniques. You know, a technique is just a way of doing a task. So you might have a technique for making a pizza, a technique for playing a guitar, a technique for, you know, throwing a football, whatever. Those are your techniques. But some techniques are more effective than others. And as teachers, we want to be mindful of our techniques when we're starting out so that we pick the most effective ones and then let those techniques become our teaching habits. Because um, techniques, uh, can vary across the board in their effectiveness. And some have proven to be, you know, through research in reading, it's great to be in reading, right? Because it's so well-researched. And the research has shown that some teaching techniques um, are more effective in getting information across than others, and also more effective at certain times because you want to switch back and forth between the various techniques that you use. You don't want to be doing direct and explicit instruction all the time. You want to be doing that, you know, part of the time, part of the time. And there's other techniques to use. Sure. When I think about techniques too, um, you know, sometimes you find that a technique might work for one one day, and that same child, the technique doesn't work the same the other day. What do you think about that? Yeah, abs absolutely. We have to have lots of tools in our toolbox or, you know, whatever tricks in our bag or however you want to say it. Techniques, we definitely want to have a variety of them available to us because students are unique, boy, and they, they come to school one day and the next day they're they're different, you know, for something's going on. So we, want, we might want to use a different technique. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. You, you mentioned that you get to still work with students and teachers. So when you work with those teachers and visit schools, what are you hoping to see during phonics and spelling instruction? Uh, that's a great question. And, and I think um, what I like to see, what I would want to see in spelling and phonics instruction to go back to those students who may be struggling and to reaching all learners is tier one instruction, um, tier one techniques in this case. Any, but anything in tier one, all those practices that are allowing like, you know, the majority and by majority, I mean, like maybe 90% of students in tier one to reach the benchmarks that you as a teacher want to see that your school wants to see that your community wants to see. So we're not going to be in the tier one setting in the general classroom setting being we can't get to all the students because some students are going to need some some interventions you know some extra support but we we really want to be trying to get things in place that 
get get the majority of students that 85 or 90 percent of um, students reaching the benchmarks that we want them to to see so when I go into a classroom with spelling and phonics I'm hoping to see standalone instruction for one you know like we want it to be stand alone I also hope to see it infused in maybe your interactive read aloud where you take a little bit of time and you're pointing some things out there that would be a good practice to have um, lots of repetition and distributed practice that goes with that so a, a myriad of ways that it's going to be manifested throughout your reading block for an hour and a half or two hours. Um, so repetition and distributed practice, uh, a variety of activities. You know, and it's not all workbook kind of things. Maybe just a little tiny bit of workbook every now and then, but activities, activities, engagement, those types of things. That's what I'm hoping to see when I go into a classroom. Sure, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that direct and explicit instruction. What does that sound like? at the beginning of a lesson? Yes, let's see. At the, at the beginning of a lesson, um, as, so if we're, say, say we're going to be teaching something like a sound letter relationship, <clears throat> uh, a sound to a pattern spelling. And so instead of saying to students something like, we're going to be talking about or studying the O sound, the O sound, does anybody out there know how we might spell O? Instead of asking a question like that, um, we want to be direct and explicit and just tell our students how they're going to be spelling that O sound. So at the beginning, especially, we don't want them to discover or to explore. I'm much more a fan of explicitly, directly telling them. So we would say to that student, or I would say to, the, to my class, we're going to be talking about the O sound and, uh, and two ways to spell it. How many ways to spell it, everybody? That's right. Two, very, that's good, that's right. Two ways to spell it. And the first way is going to be O-A, O-A. And then I write that on the board. What's one way to spell the O sound, everyone? O-A, that's very direct and explicit. Awesome, that's, you know, so you're really telling them. It's very interesting, you know, you mentioned that you're also a musician. And I would imagine when you first started to play an instrument, you didn't show up in the, and your teacher didn't say, so tell me, you know, what, what the F sound is on, on whatever instrument, right? <laughs> Abs absolutely, Cheryl. Yeah, that, that is so true. You know, music teachers say, they don't say to you, how do you think you should put your hand on the guitar to play your, they say, put your hand right here. This okay. is the C. Or my wife might say to her students, okay, um, we're going to be talking about a major third, do, re, mi. She wouldn't say, does anybody know what a major third is? She would say, this is a major third, do, me, you know, very direct and explicit. Awesome. And then later on, they bring that skill to a wonderful concert, or maybe they, maybe they do a riff on their own and they're exploring and constructing on their own. But first you have to give them the chops and that's where direct and explicit comes in. And that's a, a teaching technique that is very valuable. Sure. And mm -hmm. that concert analogy is really like the end of the, the lesson, if you will, right? What techniques do you recommend for ending a lesson, um, you know, and doing all that you can to, to make sure learners have a clear idea of what to practice from, from their instruction? 
Sure. Um, so like techniques for like, as you're going through the lesson, you're going to be noticing and noting and, you know, being a responsive teacher, that's, that's certainly a technique. So that allows you then at the end to make a determination. Do you need to use the technique of repetition again, where we're going to be reteaching a bit? Maybe you're going to use a technique of, um, you know, like something like an exit slip to check for learning or have everybody use some wait time, like think in your head, everyone, don't raise your hand, just think, what are two things that you learned in this lesson? Then you let them wait for a little bit, they're thinking, thinking, and then maybe you use the technique of turn and talk, or think, pair, share, that kind of thing at the end of the lesson to wrap it all up. You might use a technique of, as they're talking, to meander around your classroom and notice what they're saying, which gives you information formative assessment, right? Yeah. Information um, to what you do the next day or, or the next time that you see those students. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Now, in your book, How to Prevent Reading Difficulties, you, you share quite a few practices for spelling and phonics lessons. Mm -hmm. um, I, there are four particular things that you mentioned, and I'd love for you just to kind of just share a little bit more about, about them. Repetition and distributed practice is one. Mm -hmm. Wait time. Mm -hmm. Directed and ex an explicit instruction, which you've talked about a little bit, and then instant error correction. Could you share what you mean by all those things in your book? Yeah, sure. So we 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 talked about the direct and explicit. That's especially important in, in spelling and phonics, and I would argue vocabulary, especially at the initial stages. Mm. Be direct and explicit. Be direct and explicit. And then from there, um, you're going to be giving students, you know, some guided time. And 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 also, I should mention too, in that direct and explicit, that's your modeling, where you're showing, you're showing, you're showing. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. This is what we do etc and then from there as they go through their guided practice um you're going to be kind of judging how much repetition uh and distributed practice to do with that and by distributed practice once again that is in whatever you do um don't i, I would suggest that you don't do like 30 minutes of something because kids tune out it's natural even as adults right yeah. we start to tune out <laughs> so you want to you want to change it up so you know 10 or 15 minutes then something else, then something else, then come back to it. That's distributed practice and, and the literature shows that that is more effective. So we've got repetition, distributed practice, direct and explicit instruction, that wait time or think time. So, and it works for all students. It allows, like if you say to a student, um, think of a number of ways to spell the O sound, for example, or the A sound, uh, then, and you say, don't raise your hand, just think in your head and you count to five, okay. that allows your students who are high flyers to come up with maybe a bunch of them. And that allows your students who might need um, some more support to pull down information and maybe just come up with one or two. And then you call on those students that you know have one or two first, and that gives them a chance to shine, right? Sure. And then, and then, uh, then, then next you can call on those other students. So that 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 time for students to pull down information, to think about information, it keeps kids from blurting out answers, all that kind of stuff. Wait time, think time. It's super important. And then, oh, you asked about instant error correction. Sure. And instant error correction uh, is once again, you have to find that sweet spot because you don't want to constantly be interrupting students and and sometimes making a mistake can be a real learning opportunity. 
but at the same time, you don't want uh, incorrect information to um, enter their head. It's then hard to get it out of their head. You know, right. you know how that works, right? You know, because yes. we're inundated with all this information. Some of it's not correct. And then we get it in our heads that that's how it is. And it really isn't. So in the case of spelling, I, I do have my whiteboard here. I, I love, you know, like um, Dr. Richard Gentry's work. Uh, he does the whole dot and check spelling kind of thing. And, and I might say to my students, instead of doing like 10 words, um, and then I collect the words and I correct them as a teacher, actually, I'm going to teach you students how to correct it yourself. We're going to do it instantly. And it looks like this. So if you say to students, let's go back to that, um, that OW sound. So maybe we're going to spell it OA or OW. And you say to the students, we're spelling float, spell float. And a student writes it like this, F-L-O-W-T. Uh, then you would say to that student, get ready to do your dot and check spelling. Put a dot where you have the correct spelling. If you have it incorrect, circle the area where you made your mistake. So F dot L dot O dot A. Oops, I made a mistake. So I'm going to circle that T dot. And then you say, spell it right next door. Even if you got it right, spell it again. F L O A T. Swipe and read your word, everyone. Float. And that way they now have this model over here, which is correct, in their head. And they can also see where they made their mistake. And if you have 10 words um, and as a teacher, you need to do something like take a grade, you can correct, you know, take this as as your spelling quiz if you want, or it can just be a standalone instructional activity. That's one example of instant error correction. There are many others. Thank you so much. That's so powerful. And I love that you use the whiteboard because that's another way, of course, that we can instantly see everyone's error right out there. If we're, if we're doing this out loud, it's fantastic. A yep. great way to assess where our students are very quickly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Yep. Fantastic. Now, are there any other techniques that you want to mention that are key when teaching spelling and phonics? Um, yeah, so I got the repetition distributed practice in there. Oh, um, descriptive reinforcement is uh, like, once again, comes out of my special ed training. And I, I know teachers they're, they're so teachers are just the best man they're wonderful wonderful people and I know that they want their students to succeed and so oftentimes I hear teachers saying you know great job way to go tremendous awesome awesome sauce you know all that kind of stuff but before you do that I would suggest um, for example to go back to this that you say to your students I see that you're using the dot and check spelling or I see that when you swiped and read that you looked at the word left to right and you looked at all of the letters in the word, you just didn't look at the beginning and guess, you looked at all of those um, letters in there, that's the strategy I taught you, good job, shine your spelling halo, that kind of thing. But before you shine your spelling halo or give yourself a pat on the back, that you describe to the student what they did that um, is what you want them to do. So you describe it, then reinforce, it gets you a little bit more bang for the buck. It's a little bit more effective in that case. And then uh, I guess one other one that I would just uh, briefly mention too is that whole era, area of multi-sensory learning. You know, it's great to fold it in there. Uh, 
there's maybe some um, maybe some in the literature, some like wondering about like why it's effective. Um, is it wiring the hemispheres? Is it just the engagement part of it? Is it both that kind of thing? But for whatever reason, you do if you can fold in some multisensory learning. Um, so you know the sky writing. So to do your sky writing for your words, practice it that way. Maybe get out your invisible pen and do some palm writing, and then swipe and read that kind of thing. Uh, There's so many different multisensory types of things to do. I think that that is a technique to weave into your instruction so it becomes a habit. Sure, that's all such powerful and very practical kinds of mm -hmm. uh, strategies. Thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love to now think about, um, you know, how, how do actually teachers learn to do all of this? So, you know, I, as I think about a teacher, for example, who's earnestly planning, you know, their lesson and in, or maybe even following along to a scripted lesson that's in a package program, but really isn't sure about how to be responsive during a lesson, right? They, all they have is the script in front of them. Right. Um, what teaching techniques will help a teacher really execute um, that lesson effectively? Yes. So, um, Boy, so with the, the with the scripted lessons and things of that nature, well, really with en learning uh, any technique for any reason, I think it's very valuable when you're on that learning journey to have someone come come in and to, to be open to um, watching someone teach. I think that can be very powerful way of doing it. So maybe there is someone from the outside, you know, like a consultant or someone of that nature from a university that comes in and models for teachers and then uh, encourages them to try out the techniques on their own. Uh, so they're gonna fold in this uh, idea of maybe, for example, scaffolding or noticing and noting kind of a technique if you've got that scripted program to go beyond just a direct and explicit all the time to do more than that. So the teacher can watch that happen and then practice it on their own. That in that way, um, in that respect, I should say, having a, a coach in a district is a great thing for districts to have. Maybe it's an outside coach, but even better might be that inside coach so that that learning can be longitudinal it's not just a one-off right yeah. so i hope that folks listening to you know this presentation or this uh, interview and all your other interviews that you've done i hope they take away like oh i got that but now i want to practice and now i want to have someone help me practice sure, sure yeah and maybe it's a maybe it's like te two teachers getting together and saying you know i'm going to try to practice this would you watch me and so a principal kind of giving release time would you and saying to the second teacher, would you watch that teacher and give some feedback? Like how many times did you do direct and explicit or how many times did you offer wait time and what was the duration of it so that we have some data, you know, so it's quantitative, not just qualitative. And the last thing I'll say about this with quantitative and qualitative is, you know, we walk into schools. Um, from the outside, you might be a parent, you might be whoever, and you walk into school, and you see that beautiful mission statement. You know, we are a community of learners. We respect all, you know, of our learners and all of our students on their intellectual uh, journey and on their physical journey and on their academic journey, et cetera. But it doesn't really say like what they do. You know, it doesn't give definite. So I would 
personally, this is my own little thing, but I would, I would love to see something that says we are a school that does A, B, C, and D, you know, like, and one of them might be we do techniques, for example, repetition and distributed practice or exploration and construction or whatever, you know, those kinds of things so that people very directly and explicitly know what the school is doing and the teachers know that we're a community and we all do this why do we do it because it's effective to help students out to learn to read write and spell well that is an incredible answer because really what you're talking about is professional learning right professional learning is what fosters the learning and refinement of effective teaching techniques whether it's uh, again, a scripted program or something that you're building on your own. And I love that you mentioned a, a reading coach. So this kind of ongoing kind of professional yes. development, which is, I, I think, fantastic. I love that idea, though, also thinking about a mission statement in a very different way mm -hmm. as well. Um, so even from the onset of the culture as well. So, um, so thank you so much. This has been a joy um, to be with you today. And thank you for all of, again, your practical strategies and, and we wish you well. Uh, thank you so much, Cheryl. And, and, and the same, same to you. I, I, I appreciate all that you're doing and um, I wish the, uh, you know, the best of luck with all of, all of these interviews. And, mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.